Well, turn with me to Deuteronomy 31. And as we, we turn to Deuteronomy 31, we are talking about the issue of authority and, and leadership and shepherding. And this is not uh, something we have never discussed before as we've gone through the Pentateuch. There have been a couple times where we've talked about leadership and shepherding and some issues related to that. In Exodus 2, we talked about Moses' calling to leadership and the challenges of spiritual leadership. We talked about shared leadership in Exodus chapter 18 as Moses' father-in-law encouraged him to bring other people alongside of him in that ministry. We talked about holiness and spiritual leadership in Leviticus uh, 21 and 22. And then we talked about ways that shepherds can be a burden on a church and a community of faith as we were in Numbers 10 and 12. And so we've, we've talked about the issue of authority four or five times and, or three or four times, and this will be our fourth or fifth time to kind of think about some of these issues. But this morning we're going to focus more on the issue of, of where authority comes from and how we respond to that authority and how a shepherd should view that authority that God has entrusted to him. And uh, hopefully this will be encouraging to us. All of us, uh, most of us at least, are in some position in which we're spiritually shepherding others, where God has invested us with some authority to spiritually shepherd. There are the elder pastors, there's deacons, there are moms, dads, uh, grandparents, Sunday school teachers, care group leaders, all of us, most of us again, have uh, been given some uh, spiritual shepherding ministry, older sibling, uh, friends in school, employees at work. So hopefully this will be encouraging to each of us in those places where God has put us. We're going to read most of Exodus 31, and so if you'd stand with me in honor of God as we read his word, if you're able to, and if you need to sit down, feel free to do so. It doesn't mean you're not honoring God if you, if you need to sit down as we read through this. And so here we'll begin in verse 1. So Moses continued to speak these words to all Israel. This is Deuteronomy 31, now verse 2. And he said to them, I am 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you so that you shall dispossess them and Joshua will go over at your head as the Lord has spoken. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, At the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at that place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and 
the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourselves in the tent of meeting that I may commission him. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tent of meeting and the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud and the pillar of cloud stood over the entrance of the tent and The Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering, and they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured, and many evils and troubles will come upon them, so they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done because they have turned to other gods. Now therefore write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten the mouths of their offspring. For I know what they are inclined to do even today, before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel. And the Lord commissioned Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. When Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Take this book of the law and put it by the side of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you, for I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. Behold, even today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes and your officers, that I may speak these words in their ears and call heaven and earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the work of your hands. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. Father, please be gracious to us as we turn our hearts to your words, to hear them, to listen to them, to, to love them, and to obey them. We pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Where authority comes from, where spiritual authority comes from, is a crucial question for a church to wrestle with. It's a, it's a crucial question for a church to, to ask and to answer to understand where spiritual authority comes from. I reread a, a document last week. It was a document that's over 15 years old, kind of stapled together and 
uh, was in a file in one of my, my cabinets in my, my study there and reread it this, this past week. It was a document written to defend a, a pastor and some elders who had resigned from a church, kind of been forced to resign from a church, and actually the, the church that I, I grew up in. And it, it was kind of an interesting document to read as, as it kind of wrestled with the issues of authority in this, this very tumultuous time. The elders of the church, the pastor, as I said, had kind of been forced to resign, and now there was new leadership. And, and the question was, in, in a time of conflict, how do we understand authority? So there were these new leaders, and they were saying to the old elders, look, this is kind of some things that need to happen in the church. This is how you need to respond. And yet the old elders are saying, look, we, we never recognized you as, as spiritual authorities in our life. And the, the person who was writing this document is, is an anonymous person. This, this person referred to the old pastor and elders as the elders with like a capital E, you know, so very much on their side. And then he, he also, the person writing this document, he or she, uh, struggled to understand, okay, um, what's, the, what's the, the basis of authority as we decide what should or should not have happened? Sometimes the author referred to Scripture. Scripture says this, and instead you treated the old pastor like, like that. So it's, it's wrong on the basis of Scripture. Sometimes the author referred to the law. So, you know, the law of the state of Texas says this, and you did that. Sometimes the author refers to just the church constitution. Look, the church constitution bylaws say you're supposed to have a meeting with this many people, and you didn't do that, and you were dishonest, and whatever. Sometimes, and, the, and this, was, this was when it, it really struck me as, as kind of a strange situation that the church faced, Sometimes the document referred to Master Seminary and some profs there as kind of the basis of authority. Apparently somehow Master Seminary had gotten involved and they had, both sides had been emailing and writing letters and getting faxes back. And so they were each kind of using Master Seminary as, you know, who had Master Seminary's stamp of approval on their side. Just, just a mess, right? And that's, that's inevitable in conflict. By by God's grace, the church is doing, doing so well right now and, and just uh, you know, an amazing story of God's grace and great leadership there. Whenever we were, were planting Bethany Community Church, it was an issue we wrestled with. Okay, how do we design a church constitution? And whenever conflict comes, how are we going to wrestle with those, those issues of authority? It's, it's something that we were thinking through 10 years ago. And, and by the way, happy anniversary uh, to those of you who are part of the, the first Sunday school class at Bethany Baptist Church. We met 10 years ago this last week for the first time as a Sunday school class and, and wrestled with these issues. And kind of we came to the conclusion, okay, we're going to put some things in the Constitution, the bylaws will help in times of conflict. But ultimately, if, if a church isn't committed to loving God and, and loving each other, then you can have the greatest Constitution in the world and, and things are going to go south, Right? You have to ultimately trust in, in the Lord. And we have problems with authority, all of us. We, we struggle to under th- understand it. We struggle to practice good spiritual authority. We struggle to submit to spiritual authority in our lives. We, we, we struggle with this. And so this morning, what I want us to do 
is I want us to look here at Deuteronomy 31, this, this text, and this text shows a, a people in a time of transition and how they're going to handle the issue of, of authority. And, and in this time of transition, we, we encounter some great truths about how those who are spiritual shepherds view their ministry, how they view their authority, and hopefully that will help us as we think about how to view authority, how to view the task of spiritual shepherding, how to view how we respond to people who are in positions of leadership. And ultimately, as I've said before, um, most of us in this room have some area in which we are spiritual shepherds. Some of us are elders, some of us are parents, some of us are employers who are believers in the workplace, some of us are older siblings. All of us have positions where God has given us opportunity to shepherd others spiritually. Here's the main idea that I want us to, to kind of wrestle with this morning as we look at this text. God gives a shepherd authority to help the flock love and obey him. By him, I don't mean the spiritual shepherd. I mean God, right? God gives a spiritual shepherd authority. So this is an authority that comes from God, but it's, it's not an authority designed to impose our will on other people. It's not an authority that's given to enrich ourselves, either emotionally or physically. The, the purpose of this authority is to help other people the people that we're shepherding, it's designed to help them love and obey God. That's why God gives people spiritual authority. That's why God has given you spiritual authority, so that you could help others love and obey him. So let's, let's look at five things here, five truths that help us understand the nature of our ministry, the nature of a ministry in which there's authority. Here's the, and here's what we as shepherds do. Number one, the shepherd understands his ministry is temporary. A shepherd who's going to understand the authority that God has given him or her is going to understand that this, this, this ministry of, of being a parent, this ministry of being an elder, this ministry of whatever it is, it's, it's a temporary ministry. Here's what happens to Moses. Verse 2, he's, he's called the, the people of Israel, he's, he's speaking to them, and he talks about how his ministry is coming to a close. And he says, I'm 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, you shall not go over this Jordan. So Moses is saying, look, I understand that, that my ministry is, is coming to a close. First of all, I understand that my ministry is coming to a close just because of, of physical reasons. I'm not able to, to go out and come in. I, I'm no longer able to keep up with the physical and emotional demands that this ministry requires. Remember in Exodus 18, we saw that this is a very tough ministry physically. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, comes to him and says, man, you are going to wear yourself out. You can't do this. And so other shepherds come alongside Moses and help him in that. But even in the book of Numbers, we see that Moses is still just needing other people to come alongside and, and bear the weight of ministry this, this ministry that Moses has been called to is incredibly difficult. What's more, God himself has told Moses, hey, um, you are not going to go into the promised land. This, this is not what you're going to be a part of. Because of your sin, of rebellion, your unbelief, you're not going to, to enter into the, the promised land. Now, Moses, if, if the ministry was all about him, could have been 
very angry about this, right? Think about this from Moses' perspective. God calls them, at 80 years old, by the way, to, to go to Egypt. And he, he goes to Egypt, and he suffers the indignity of, of Pharaoh and his anger, and then the, the people that he's, designed, that he's called to lead are angry at him. He makes their lives more difficult instead of what they view as better, and so they're angry at him, and, and then he, he leads them out of Egypt, and the people question his authority, they question his motives, they, they question his goodness, they question God's goodness. Moses wanders around with these disobedient Israelites for 40 years, and again and again they question his motives, they question his authority, they question his legitimacy as a leader. And then, as they're on the cusp of entering into the promised land, God says, yeah, that's it. Those were the bookends of your ministry, Egypt and right before the promised land. Now, if you were Moses and you believed that the ministry was about yourself, you would would feel very upset by that, right? You'd feel somewhat betrayed. But that's not how Moses responds here. Even though that's been Moses' ministry, he, he's excited about what God is going to do. He, he's saying, look, the Lord is going to be with you still, he says in verse 5. And he tells them in verse 6, be strong and courageous. It's, it's the Lord who goes with you. He won't leave you or forsake you. In other words, and this is a beautiful thing, Moses even though he's not going to be a part of it, is still excited about the ministry that God is going to accomplish. Now, leaders, spiritual shepherds, you have a shelf life. For some of you, it's, it's going to be a very long shelf life. Some leaders serve as spiritual shepherds in ministries for, for decades, and God does amazing things through them, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. You can read stories and biographies of of great men and women of the faith who had a decades-long ministry doing different things, right? But for other spiritual shepherds, it's, it's short. It's a short shelf life. It's years, or sometimes it's just months. But all of us, in whatever ministry that God has called us to, it's it's temporary. It's it's not gonna last forever. I was at a wedding yesterday and uh, walked out in the hallway and a, and a guy kind of uh, said hello to me and we started talking and he said, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I used to be on staff at this church and um, no longer. He said, December, I, I had to retire. I had these, these physical health issues and, and uh, I, I'd been doing this ministry and everyone looked to me as this, as this amazing pastor and, and I, I was the guy when it came to all this administrative stuff and I, I was... I was on top of everything, and then it just came to a point where God, God took it away. He said, it's, it's over. You, you can't physically do this anymore. And He said, it's, it was hard, but, but, but God has, has another ministry for me now. I'm doing foster care and th- this ministry here. But Some of us, it's going to be decades. Some of us, it's going to be weeks, whatever. God has leaders in ministries for a, a temporary time. Now, why is that a good thing? How does that help me? How does it help me? Is this just kind of a depressing thing? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is a short-term thing. How does it help me do ministry 
in a ministry while I realize that the ministry that I'm currently doing isn't going to last forever for me? How does that help me? A couple ways, right? I think, first of all, it helps motivate me to run hard, right? The, the gun has gone off. There's a finish line out there somewhere. I'm not quite sure where it is, but it's coming. And so I'm, I'm going to run hard. As long as God allows me to run, I, I need to run because there's going to be a time with it when it's not time to run anymore. And so it, it motivates me to, to run hard by his grace. Now, I'm not saying burn out. I'm not saying do ministry in your own strength. I'm not saying be foolish, but, but work hard. I'm not going to stop until God says the race is done. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about how he worked harder than anyone else. 1 Thessalonians 2, he says, we work night and day. The, the needs of the body consume our, our thoughts and our minds as we shepherd those in our flock. It also, helps, it also helps us to not just run hard, but to run with humility. It helps us to run with humility. This ministry is, is not mine. I, I've been part of it for this, for this moment, and, and it went on before me. It's going to go on after me. It, it causes a great deal of humility. I'm expendable. If Moses can be replaced, uh, you and I can be replaced, right? There's time where I have, but this isn't my deal. It also helps motivate me to run as part of a relay, right? I'm part of a relay, took the baton from someone else, I'm going to give the baton to yet another person, right? Which brings us to a second thing to think about. Number two, the shepherd prepares others to take his place, right? The shepherd prepares others to take his place. Moses then, in verse 7, summons Joshua, and it's, it's public, and he says to, to Joshua, in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous for for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And then he tells uh, Joshua, don't, don't fear or be dismayed. Now, this wasn't just some random thing. It wasn't like Moses said, okay, I'm, I'm done for. It's 120 years old. I think I've done my time. I can't do this anymore. Um, how about you? What's your name? Jo- Joshua what? Joshua? Yeah, why don't you come up? Guys, this is Joshua. Uh, he's going to be the guy now. I'm out of here, right? That's, that's not how Moses appoints Joshua. As you go through the Pentateuch, just, just look for Joshua. When you see that Joshua's story doesn't begin in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua has been with Moses throughout all of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And in Exodus, you, you see him there in chapter 17 where uh, the, Joshua fights the battle here, and the Lord says to Moses, write down what happened and recite it in the years of Joshua. In chapter 24, Moses goes up on the mountain of God, right? But who's with him? It says his, his assistant Joshua goes with him. In Numbers 14 and 15, we see Moses sending Joshua to the promised land to spy it out. And in Numbers chapter 11, it says that Joshua, the son of Nun, assistant of Moses from his youth, is upset when he sees these other people prophesying in the camp who aren't doing it under Moses' authority. And he gets kind of bothered by that, and Moses shepherds him. He says, no, 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 no. Look, Joshua, um, don't be jealous for my sake. I wish that all the Lord's people would prophesy. I wish that the Lord would pour, pour spirit on all of them. 
God tells Moses to commission him in Numbers 27. So this isn't something brand new, right? There's this, this public nature to establishing Joshua, and Moses rejoices that God is going to do through Joshua things that he didn't do through him. And that's the true heart attitude of a spiritual shepherd, right? I've taken a person, I've recognized some gifting in them, and I'm investing my life in them so that they can do things for the glory of God as well. This last week, uh, we were at a college, visiting a college with Hannah, and they, they were talking about leadership. They said, you know, some of you want to, want to have your, you want to become leaders, and you want your kids to become leaders, and uh, our, our university offers a certificate of leadership so that whenever you go to people, you can say, I have a certificate of leadership from so-and-so. And I'm thinking, and I don't know what was involved in that certificate. Maybe, um, you know, may, maybe someone will look at that and say that's, that's super. But, boy, that's just not the, the biblical model of leadership we see here, right? You don't just sit a person down in a class and say, okay, let me tell you how to be a leader. Here's how you be a leader. Now you're a leader. A person who's in a position of leadership is grown into that. You know, at, at uh, Bethany, we've, we've tried to help people think through what discipleship looks like. So as you come into Bethany, you say, okay, I want to grow in my faith of the Lord. What does that look like? And we kind of give kind of three M words to help us think about what we should be doing. There, obviously, there's more to it than this, but this kind of helps us think about the big picture. We, we recognize that there's, there's membership, and by membership, we mean there's, there's committing to the body. We say, okay, I, I'm going to be, I'm gonna be a, a part of this community of faith, and we encourage every person to become a, a member of a local church. And, and then as we become members, there, then there's maturity, right? We grow in our walk with the Lord. We, we find out more about what it means to walk in obedience to him. We have people come alongside us and, and teach us about how to do, to do ministry. And then we begin serving other people. And we're, we're engaged in ministering to the body as we mature. And then there's the last M. There's, there's multiplication. And we believe that every disciple of Jesus should be producing more disciples of Jesus. It's the Great Commission. And so what do we do? As, as, as we're in whatever ministry God has placed us, we're, we're training other people to, to be like Jesus in that ministry. That's what a spiritual shepherd does. I was reading an article about, uh, um, it was called like, something about Guatemalan supermoms. It was talking about how gifted mothers are in Guatemala, and it was uh, kind of comparing them to I mean, no offense to moms, right? It was saying the you know, moms in the United States, oftentimes the first time a mom will change a diaper with their child or the first time they'll wrestle with issues of how to feed a baby, things like that, and, uh, and dads. And they, they were saying that, that the moms in Guatemala are trained from very early ages. They, they send them to help with other moms and just kind of this, this neat process of discipleship. And, and that's what we see here. It should be true for all of us. The authority that a spiritual shepherd has is a temporary authority. And because we recognize that our, our shelf life and our ministries is temporary, what are we doing? We're preparing others to take our place. That's what every spiritual shepherd should be doing. Third thing here, the shepherd exhorts his flock to love and obey God. We're given the spiritual authority. What do we do with it? What, what do we do with spiritual authority? Why, why has God given us influence in other people's lives? Well, again, it's not to exhort ourselves. It's not to enrich ourselves. It's not to enforce our will on other people. We have authority so we can use that influence 
to encourage the people who are in our lives, look, we beg with you, we plead with you, we, we exhort you, love God and, and, and manifest that love and obedience. That's what I'm doing as a care group leader. I'm, I, I, these, these people are in my life and, and I have this influence in their life as, as leading the care group. I, I, I just want you to, I'm just, I just want you to know God and to love him and walk in obedience to him. That, that, that's what I want for you. I have this, this influence as a parent, and, and I can't force my kids to love and obey God, but I, I, I'm using that influence. I, this is why God has placed me in your life, so that I can be this voice that calls you to, to know God and to love him and obey him. Now, how do we see that in the text? What's happening is, and, and this, is, this is very important how this is happening, Moses writes the law down. And he says, here's God's word. Now, every seven years, I want you to, to, to assemble together, and he says, I want you to read it with the men, the women, the little ones, the sojourners, so they can hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. That's, that's why I'm giving this to you. I want you to know, love, obey the Lord your God, and then be careful to do all the words of this law. Now, here is something that I want us to, to be very mindful of. A spiritual leader doesn't just stand up and say, okay, here's, here's what I think you should do to obey God. Throughout Scripture, what we see, the, the leaders of God's people, in whatever context it is, big or small, what we see the leaders doing is saying, okay, here's how we obey God, and here's the source of our authority. It's, it's his written word. Now, this is very important because as, first of all, let's just think of as a church. As a church, the authority of, of whatever person who in the church is trying to influence you, the authority of that person is not intrinsic to that person it's, or that, that, that position. That position exists underneath the authority of the written word of God so that person can help you know and understand the word of God and walk in obedience to God through his word. In other words, there's, there's not some, like we don't have this, this book over here and now we're over here operating. We're operating constantly under the authority of God as revealed to us in his word, right? Now I think, that is, I think that's a crucial thing and what's happening in our culture today, in our, our Christian culture, is we're becoming more and more timid about speaking about the authority of God's word because... Our culture has rejected the idea of the authority of God's word. In fact, I want to be, I want to be fair as I, as I give this illustration, but I think it's an important illustration because of, uh, it, it illustrates where the evangelical church is. Uh, Andy Stanley is one of the most influential evangelical pastors in the United States. He's especially influential with young evangelical Christians who are passionate about reaching the postmodern world and I, I've handed out some of his resources. Some of them are, are, are really good, but, but I think he's made a very significant error. And by the way, I think some people, have, they've, as they've quoted him, they've just kind of quoted sound bites, and they've been a little unfair to him. They've, they've made him say more than what he was saying, but let me just give you a sound bite here. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, I, I want to use his words here, but, I, but hopefully I'm being fair to him, okay? So I, I don't think he's saying all the bad things people are saying that he's saying, but I, I think he's he said some things that undermine the authority of God's word 
even as he would say it, he affirms the inerrancy of Scripture, he affirms the authority of Scripture, but he's, he's done something methodologically that I think is, is wrong. And uh, in his words, he, about eight or ten years ago, consciously decided to do something different in his preaching. He made a conscious decision. Here's what he says. He says, appealing to post-Christian people on the basis of the authority of the Scripture has essentially the same effect as a Muslim imam appealing to you on the basis of the authority of the Quran. So he's saying, look, we live in this post-Christian culture. No one believes the Bible anymore, okay? Not no one, but the, the culture as a whole doesn't accept this as authoritative. And he's right. And he's right to want to, to figure out how to, to minister in that context. But then he says this. Close to half our population does not view the Bible as authoritative either. If you're trying to reach people with an undergraduate degree or greater, over half of your target audience will not be moved by the words, the Bible says, or the Bible teaches, or God's word is clear, or anything along those lines. In other words, you can't say the Bible says because people are like, well, who cares? It says it's like a, a Muslim imam saying, well, the Quran says. Everyone's going to say, well, who cares what the Quran says? Who, says, who cares what the Bible says? Now, Here's where I think Stanley is wrong, all right? He's wrong because the Bible is different than the Koran, right? I mean, the Bible is different. It's different saying the Bible says because the Bible does have authority. We believe that as, as, as Christians. We believe that, that the Scripture has authority, and we also believe and are convinced that the authority of the text of Scripture is not tied to what other people think about the authority of the text of Scripture. In other words, when a person rejects the authority of Scripture, it doesn't, it doesn't change one, one, one degree the amount of power and, and glory and authority that resides within the text of Scripture. It, it, it retains its authority. And so, as I, as I proclaim God's word, I, I do so with confidence, saying, look, here's, here's what God's word says, and I, and I trust that the word of God itself will speak into people's hearts. Uh, Isaiah 66 says, this, God says, this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and, and trembles at my word. And so my belief is that as God has invested authority within his word found in Scripture, my belief is that as I proclaim that, God's spirit will do the work through his Scripture. Like As Hebrews describes, it's kind of just going into a person's heart, going, and, and cutting that person to the quick, right? I believe that's what's going to happen. And so what am I going to do as a spiritual shepherd? I'm going to exhort my flock to love and obey God, and how am I going to do it? By, by using his word. Not my charming personality, not my, my witty remarks, but by saying, look, this is what God's word says for us to do, and, and this is what we're going to do as a people. That's where the authority comes from. It's a subtle shift. It's a subtle but not so subtle shift that's happening in the church today. We need to be aware of it. A person speaks as a spiritual shepherd. They need to speak underneath the authority of the word, and that's what Moses calls his people to do here. Fourth thing is this. Fourth thing for us to keep in mind is this. The shepherd realizes he and his flock are weak. He and his flock are weak. The Lord says to Moses, I'm not going to read this again, but he, he affirms to Moses that some bad things are going to happen in the future. 
He says this is to Moses, and he tells him to prepare for this by writing a song, and the song we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. And he says, uh, you're going to teach it to the people so that whenever they fail, they're going to have this, this word from me to, to look on. They're going to see the gospel proclaimed within it, and they're going to be able to turn and, and repent, right? He says they're going to turn, and then this, this song shall confront them as a witness. It will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring, for I know what they're inclined to do even today, before I brought them into the land that I swore to give them. Now, what does this mean for you and me? There are temptations that face me as I shepherd. As I shepherd weak people, sinful people, as a sinful person, as I shepherd my they're not in the service, so I can say that. As I shepherd my sinful children, right, there are temptations I face. As I, as I shepherd a, a larger group of people, there are temptations I face when I encounter weakness in the lives of people as a weak person myself. What am I tempted with? First of all, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to overestimate my own righteousness, right? Oh, Lord, these children, you know. I, I'm, I'm, I can't believe they treat me this way. How, how tragic it is that I have to endure this. But Father, for you, I endure it, right? Because I, and I make myself the hero of the story instead of recognizing that myself and the people who have weaknesses are both weak and we both stand before a gracious Heavenly Father, right? So one temptation I face is to overestimate my own righteousness. The other temptation, another temptation I face is to overestimate the sinfulness of people when I encounter sin in their life, Right? So I encounter sin in the life of, of someone in the church, and, and I'm, it's just so shocking, and I can't believe that they're, and maybe it's a sin directed at me, and, and I'm, I'm a spiritual shepherd. I overestimate my own righteousness first, right? I, you know, I'm a, I'm a spiritual shepherd. How can the world, can they think ill of me? Um, well, maybe because they know me. And then, um, then I, I overestimate their sinfulness, like, oh, how, how, tra- how tragic that this person is, is so, so, so very sinful. And in other words, I begin to believe that they're beyond the reach of the gospel. Moses here is preparing, through God's instruction, means of grace for people who are going to sin in preparation for their repentance. Right? And I need to do the same. And I need to not fall, fall into the temptation of believing that people who have sinned against me or who are sinful are beyond the reach of the gospel. That's why I'm here, right? I'm, I'm a spiritual shepherd to help people love and obey God. Another temptation that I, that I face is that I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to be unforgiving, right? Matthew 19 talks about the, the servant who's forgiven the great, I'm sorry, Matthew 18. It's Matthew 18, he's forgiven the great debt, and then, then he's unwilling to forgive the servant who is sinned against him. As a spiritual shepherd, I am weak. I encounter the weakness of others and my temptation sometimes in that is to be unforgiving. Another temptation that I face is to moralize instead of proclaim Christ. Here's a person who's, who's sinning in my, my Sunday school class and we were talking about it and I'm saying, hey, you know what? You know what you need? You know what you need? You need to, to try more, you know? You need to, to stop lying, stop saying bad words, stop this, do that, don't do this. My temptation when I encounter the weakness in the flock is 
one of the temptations is to moralize, give them moral, moral quotes, moral thoughts, instead of saying, hey, you know what? Let's, let's cling to Jesus here. Let's repent of our sin, turn to Christ, and recognize our need for him. And, and another temptation, maybe a final temptation to think about as I encounter the weakness of others, another temptation is to think short-term instead of long-term and to become discouraged. I encounter this, this weakness. I'm, I'm doing a small group Bible study with, with some ladies or I'm, I'm involved in a, a counseling case with, with a person where we're trying to exhort a person to follow after the Lord. I encounter this weakness and say, hey, you know what? Here's what God's word says you need to do. And the person says, oh, I believe that. And I'm going to turn to Jesus here. I'm going to trust in him. I'm going to follow through. And then the next week comes and, and they didn't do it, right? They're apathetic in prayer. They're apathetic in coming to God's word. They're apathetic in doing the things you know they need to do to avail themselves of the means of grace that God has given them. And then the next week comes, and you see them still struggling, and, and you see them unwilling to really do the things that are necessary to, to, to see God really work in the situation. You recognize their heart hasn't, hasn't fully committed to God yet, and there's not the fruit of repentance you want to see. And you see this weakness, and the temptation is to think short-term. Well, there goes that. There goes that person. Hey, brothers and sisters, we're in this in the long haul together, Okay? By God's grace, this Sunday, is, unless the Lord returns, calls us home, if the Lord allows, this is not the last day of our sanctification. This is not the last day we're going to exhort one another to walk in obedience to God. We need to do it today because we might not have it tomorrow, but by God's grace, there will be another day and another day, and we're going to continue as long as God allows to exhort one another, to invest in each other, to do it in ourselves and in the lives of others. Last thing here, the shepherd, the shepherd finds strength and courage, not in the approval of people, but of God. And we're going to talk, as we go into the book of Galatians in a few months, we're going to talk about the call of a person. But you see here, who calls Joshua to ministry? It's it's the Lord. Ultimately, it's the Lord who commissions Joshua to this ministry, and, and Joshua is ultimately accountable not to the approval of people, but of God himself. And, and God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous, for you shall bring the people of Israel into the land that I swore to give them. I will be with you. Now, spiritual shepherd, that's my word of encouragement to you this morning as well. Your strength and courage is not found in the people that you're shepherding saying, hey, you're awesome. Hey, so you're the best mom in the world. You are so fantastic as a care group leader. I cannot believe that God has gifted me, as, gifted me with you as my Sunday school teacher. That's not where our ultimate approval is found in. It's found in coming to God's word and saying, hey, look, I've, I've been obedient to what God has said I need to do and what I need to be as, as a shepherd. That's where my strength and my courage to do the difficult ministry is found. Ultimately, our commissioning comes from Jesus himself. He says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And he says, all authority has been given to me. And he gives that commission. 
God gives a shepherd authority to help his flock love and obey God. Let's pray. Father, we pray by your grace we'd be obedient to you. We pray that we would love you, and we pray that our love for you would flow into our exhortation to the people that you've put into our lives to love and obey you as well. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and we pray this in his name. Amen.